but two weeks ago, we looked at verses 7 through 12, and in that message, which was called, We're Not Antinomians, what we found is that the law is good, and the law is valuable, because it shows us what great sinners we are. Uh, Brother Russ, bring me down just a little bit. The law shows us what great sinners we are, and the correct purpose of the law is to be a mirror so that we see what we cannot accomplish and we see what Christ has accomplished through the law. So he established that the law is good because that's what it shows us. Now tonight, I want to read verse 13 before we get into our main text. You don't have to stand for this verse. We'll stand in just a little bit. Verse 13, he says, Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Now, I think this is a new concept that he's introducing, that, that once we see the commandment, it shows what we think is small to be exceedingly sinful. That we think, hey, I'm a pretty good person, I've got some faults, I've got some failures, but what I think is just moderately of, of evil, we see as exceedingly evil because of the law. <clears throat> the function of the law is to kill us so that grace can make you alive. Grace cannot make you alive until the law has already killed you. The law is like a wrecking ball that dismantles the foundation of our own self-righteousness so that the foundation of Christ can be laid. I cannot think about that without thinking about Miley Cyrus, and that's just the curse of media as it is. But, you know, the law came in like a wrecking ball, and it destroyed the work of our self-righteousness. Praise God. I, I, I'm fine with equating Miley Cyrus with sin. That's perfectly fine in my book. But, but the law, and once we see sin, it destroys our own self-righteousness. It has to destroy that foundation. In order for another foundation to be built, the law brings about death. It has no ability to bring about life. Okay, You need to hear this. The law has no ability to build the house. The wrecking ball has no ability to build the house, only to tear down. And that's where we get it wrong. When we think the law can build people, when we think the law can construct something, we're using it with the wrong purpose. You can't drive a 16-penny nail with the wrecking ball. Right? <laughs> it's not, it's going to either take you a very, very long time or it's going to drive it straight through the two by fours and, you know, into the next room. The law cannot build. Let me tell you something. If we still think that we're better than other people, we're still living under the law. We have not yet been killed by the law. We're living under the law by believing that we're keeping it. And whenever we make judgments about other people, oh, look at so-and-so. Did you see what they've done? Did you hear what they did? Whenever we think that we're better than them, the law has not yet killed us. We have not yet seen its function. Until we realize that we are equal with the guy walking down the street selling crack, the law has not killed us yet. Let me tell you, I was so excited Monday night after the Bible conference. I went and stopped at Marvin Little's house. I had to uh, drop off something, pick up something from him. I pulled out onto uh, Roberta Road right here. Not literally 100 yards before I got to the stop sound, police lights came on. 
Right? A policeman pulled me over and said, Officer, what am I doing wrong? He said, you're all over the yellow line. Right? <laughs> I had no idea. I was talking to my friend who drove from South Carolina. He came up to the Bible conference, and I, I was just Bible conference on my mind. I didn't know I was on the yellow line. I mean, <laughs> honestly, in that distance, I wasn't even sure if I was worried about the yellow line. You know, the law showed up, and I saw sin. And sin, oh, wow, that, that really is a bad deal. He says, yeah, nine times out of ten, it's an indication of substance abuse. I said, well, one time out of ten, it's preacher abuse because I'm just really excited right now. The law does not show you how perfect you can be. It shows you how sinful you are. The law shows you that you're stuck in the already sinking sand of depravity. But the law has no ability to rescue you. Okay? The law shows you what you've done wrong, but it cannot bring life. Perfect illustration of this. Two weekends ago, we were at the men's fishing retreat. And uh, Alan Freeman and I had arrived late on a Thursday night, about 11.15, we drop our, our gear off there at the beach house, and we unpacked, and then we drove out to the, to the beach to find the other guys who were out flounder gigging. And so uh, we drive about five miles down, and you turn to the beach entrance and stuff. We see this big sign that says, no driving on the beach without a permit. Well, I mean, it's 1130 now. Everything's closed. What do we do? Well, I guess we go on the beach. So we go on the beach, and we drive down, and we find our guys, and they're, they're gigging flounder and everything, and we're having a merry old time, and we sit there for about an hour. And so we decide we're going to start heading back, and we get back near the exit. And once we get near the exit, the, the sand becomes really soft, and his, his truck doesn't make it. I mean, we're in full drive and everything, and, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a Chevrolet, Correct. Uh, I mean, that's not part of my illustration. I'm just saying that. But, you know, four-wheel drive, it gets there. <laughs> and, 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 you know, we're rolling fine. It gets near the entry. It just bogs down. And we can't get nowhere. So we try several times. I'm like, well, let's just let some air out of the tires. Well, sure enough, we get out let the air out of the tires. And I'm, I'm shining my flashlight on the tires. And next thing I know, car drives up. Hey, Mr. Fisherman. No, it's the police. And uh, he says... Uh, you know, he doesn't say, are you stuck? I mean, clearly, we're out here working on the time. He doesn't say, you got a permit? I said, um, excuse me? You got a permit? Oh, sir, we're not fishing. He said, I mean a fishing permit. You got a driving permit. Uh, 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 no, sir. I mean, it's, it's 1130. We just got here. He said, did you not see the big sign? I said, uh, uh, most certainly I saw the large sign. But uh, there was no place open to purchase a permit. And so he was not concerned about the purchasing of permits. He was concerned about the possession of permits. So as far as he concerned, the law was breaking. Never one single time did he ask, are you in need of assistance? Not one single time, right? And so, you know, um, his, his buddy, as soon as his buddy heard that we didn't have a permit, man, he just goes... He just goes right in the ticket like this. And he says, uh, you know, what are y'all doing? I say, we're down here with the church group, uh, you know, just trying to disciple men for the kingdom of God. <laughs> and he says, oh, really, what kind of work do you do? I said, I'm the preacher. <laughs> oh. Ooh. Unfortunately, the preacher card doesn't work down in uh, the beach. It works here in Concord, right? 
But uh, <laughs> so this is the best part. Alan's down here. He's letting the air out of the tires. And so we, you know, Mr. Official Policeman, you know, expert, he says, uh, Alan says, what kind of air should we be running in these tires? And the policeman says, I suggest beach air <laughs> instead of mountain air. If the preacher wouldn't have been there, Alan might have knocked him out, right? <laughs> Never offers anything of value. And Alan said, no, I mean the PSI. And he says, well, I'm not sure. We just run factory air pressure. You know, so, so the, here's the whole point. Perfect illustration. The law never offered help for our condition. It only showed us the law we were breaking. Wrote the Here you go, see, didn't care that we were blocking the whole exit to the beach. Got your ticket, we're on our merry way, right? But after I thought about it, the job of law enforcement is simply to enforce the laws. The law shows you what you're doing wrong, but the law doesn't have the ability to help you do right. Something else must help you do right. And here's where people get it wrong. Some people say that grace brings you to salvation, but the law keeps you there. So they preach grace, then law. Well, unconditional grace grafts you into Christ, but the law must keep you there. And they preach personal holiness and personal works. Uh, why do we do that? Why does that happen? Because ultimately, we want to think that we have something to do with our own salvation. We want to think that I'm going to stand before God and God's going to say, you know what? You've done a pretty good job. Come on in. You know? Listen, my friends. I've said this before. The only one to whom God says, well done, good and faithful servant, is Jesus Christ who did well job and was good and faithful. You and I are not getting there because we're good and faithful. That's the opposite of the gospel. That's works-based righteousness. And you can find any other religion that's going to preach that to you, but not Christianity. Religion thinks that by following the rules, we're keeping God's grace on us. But grace is unconditional. That's the lowest view of the law. The lowest view of the law tries to say that it's there so we can keep it. And the only reason this happened is because it has not yet killed us. If the law has not yet killed us, I'm still going to boast in it. Most people preach little law. And what I mean by little law is they expect that you're going to be able to follow all of it. And once you don't follow all of it, you say, well, well maybe I'm not saved. I mean, literally, I've used to question my salvation when I sinned. And I used to think, man, man, uh, the Holy Spirit's not even regenerated me when I, when I failed. That's because I was looking at myself in the salvation process instead of the cross and the finished work. You see, the law has destroyed our ability to think we're good and that we can attain goodness. This is what Paul was getting at. He was not saying the law was void. He was saying now we see the ultimate purpose of the law. And that in order to see the saving work of Jesus. We must see the destroying work of the law. You can't see the beautiful work of Christ. Unless you see the destructive work of law. And, and, and here's the thing about the, the modern prosperity gospel. It does not focus on the destructive law work. 
it focuses on life enhancement. Well, here's how you can be better. Here's how you can be fulfilled. Here's how you can be prosperous. On and on and on. But never does the law destroy. And the law must destroy for Christ to build. I find a lot of times that preachers who are preaching the law do so in a manner which tries to tell people to be holy. And that's why it never works. The law shows you're not holy, but it can't make you holy. Now I'd like to turn our attention to verses 14 through the end of the chapter. Let's, let's stand in God's house. Romans 7, verse 14. This is what the Word of God says. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I don't want to do, I agree with the law that it's good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, in my flesh, nothing good exists. For to me to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good I want to do I do not do, but the evil I don't want to do that I practice. Now if I do, if I do what I want to do, it is no longer I who do it. I'm sorry, let me read that again. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that, is, that evil is present with me, the one who wants to do good. For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, or in my flesh, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity of the law of sin which is in my members." Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. I thank God that through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. May God bless the reading of his word. Be seated in God's house. Now here's good news for you tonight. Now if you think, you know what, that was a very difficult passage let me tell you, this is one of the, my most favorite passages in the Bible to understand. Because when I read it, I actually begin to say, yes, yes, I get this. I mean, Apostle Paul is describing me. Like, this is not one of the super spiritual passages. This is like one of the self-descriptive passages. Jesse Watkins could have wrote this. I don't do what I want to do. I don't do what I know I should do, but I do the things I don't want to do. I could have written that. You could have written that because that describes all of us. And I say, yes, that's the struggle I have. And here's a lot of times when preachers preach this, they say, well, this is describing Apostle Paul, what he was like before he was a Christian. This is the struggle that the natural man has while struggling with sin. But you know, most unsaved people don't struggle with sin. I mean, matter of fact, they love their sin. Matter of fact, unsaved people worship their sin. I mean, really, they do. I mean, when we were unsaved, we were worshipers of the flesh. We were worshipers of the natural cravings of the heart. We didn't struggle with it. We loved it. You ever heard an unsaved person say, You know, I really don't want to go to the bar tonight. But that old flesh just stays thirsty. No, they love it. Man, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. No, it's 9 a.m., Bobby. I mean, calm down. Right? <laughs> I mean, the, the world enjoys it. They don't struggle. Paul is clearly not describing the sinner. The sinner. 
the sinful person. He's describing the one who thinks that we can be justified in the law. He's describing us. He's describing the person who's believed in Christ, but is still trying to find their own righteousness through works. I mean, this right here was like me for the first 17 years of Christianity. For the first 17 years I walked with God, it was like every day was like I was not good enough. Every day was, you know what? I'm, I'm, I, sh- I should have talked to that person about Jesus. I, I should have prayed more today. I shouldn't be thinking those thoughts about people. And that's what I was consumed with. And man, I mean, I was the guy, literally the guy at the altar every week. And people's like, oh, he must be spiritual. No, I was just wretchedly sinful. Wretchedly sinful because I was like, God, I, I can't do it. And I was still believing that my right nature depended on me. Never doing what I wanted to do. The other day I came into our house after being at the office that day. And I saw on the countertop a flyer that said, Christian Yoga. At first I was afraid because I had thought that Tyler had brought the the flyer home. And that she wanted to attend Christian yoga and I said why is this flyer on the countertop she said what I said Christian yoga why is this here she said someone put that on my car I'm going to throw it away and I was like thank you Jesus okay but I have commented on this before it is an oxymoron to say that anything which has a pagan purpose can be Christian now if you do yoga I'm not calling you a heretic I'm just saying that the body of Christ is uninformed. So let's inform people today. Yoga is a form of worship in the Hindu and Buddhist faith which seeks to join together or yoke together the body and the mind through physical experience. Therefore, it's believed through stretching and meditation that the worshiper can achieve a heightened state of consciousness by stretching their body and stretching their mind. The only thing that heightens me when I bend over is my blood pressure. Right? I feel like I'm going to pass out now. Stop it! <laughs> they call it nirvana, but actually all the blood vessels in your head are just going crazy. So to say that we're going to take... I got floaties in my eyes now. To say that we're going to take a pagan practice that worships a heightened consciousness and make it Christian is just as silly to say as we're going to take a false philosophy and make it Christian. And here's the amazing thing that the places that are offering these are churches. Churches are offering Christian yoga as to think we need to steal the meditational practices of Eastern philosophy to get people into church. Well, I got an idea. Why don't we offer some outreach courses and let's call it Christian Mormonism. Maybe that'll draw them in. Maybe Maybe we should offer Christian atheism. Or how about Christian cannibalism? If you eat clowns, they taste funny. You know. But here's the deal. You cannot take something which has its purpose opposed to Christianity and make it Christian. No more than you can make a dog a cat. 
Yoga seeks to merge the consciousness of the mind with the cravings of the body so that oneness with the universe is achieved. But here's the thing. This is the opposite of what Paul has been imploring us to do. Paul has not been saying, listen, become one with the flesh. No, Paul is saying the flesh is evil and causes you to sin. Paul's been saying over and over, you don't want to be one with your flesh. You want the flesh to die. You want the flesh to be dead so that the spirit can live. So we don't by no means need yoga. We need the opposite. We need the opposite of what that's calling for. And this is what Paul is talking about in these chapters that in these verses, in his mind, he knows what the law of God says, but his flesh has no ability to follow it. You see, even though he knew in his head what to do, he couldn't carry it out in his flesh. It was impossible for Apostle Paul to figure out this dilemma between the flesh and the mind. It was impossible for these things to work together. And the reason this impossibility existed was because of the law. What the law did in Paul's mind was it constantly showed him the person he could not be. It constantly showed him his failures and shortcomings, and that does two things. Number one, either it says, I'm never going to be that righteous person, I'm just going to sin. Or number two says, I'm going to constantly strive to be something I cannot. And that caused a war within his members. This paradox existed because we see that we cannot do what we know we should do. Now, Paul knows the law is good because he says, if I'm not doing what I should be doing, the law is showing me that I cannot be righteousness. And so we find here that he says the law is good because it cannot allow us to become righteous. The law is showing him what he cannot accomplish. The law is showing him he cannot be righteousness. It proves the depravity of the flesh. When I was in college in my early 20s, I had a problem with something called night terrors. I don't know if you've ever had this. It's terrible. I'd wake up in this paralyzed state, and I would think that the devil was literally like controlling my body. I, I would think that the aliens had sucked me into their tractor beam, and I was like paralyzed, you know. But literally, I'd wake up, and I could not move my body. I could not make sound with my voice. So I would just sit there in this paralyzed state, and I would think that the devil was attacking me. And once I got married, these things kept happening. Now, here's the deal. In my mind, I was terrified. And even though my mind was telling my arms to move, was telling my voice to scream, none of these things would happen. So I would lay there in sheer terror until either I, A, fell back asleep, or after five minutes, I would come out of that paralysis. Sometimes I would actually, after five minutes, begin to make a sound, and it would be like, uh, uh. And Tyler would wake up and like start hitting me so I'd get out of this. But here's my point. What my mind wanted to accomplish, my flesh had no ability to do. Even though my mind was saying move, my mind was saying scream, the flesh could not make that happen. And that's the dilemma that we live in under the law. We always see what we should be following, but the flesh has no ability to make it happen. The whole point of his autobiography here, what he's talking about this self, is that the law had no power to rescue him. The law was very effective at killing him, but it was ineffective at making him come alive. The law could break him into pieces, but it could not make him whole. 
could not make him whole. So he existed in this dilemma. And we too exist in this dilemma. Every day that we don't fully rely on the grace of God, we are actually living in the flesh. And those are the days that we fail. Whenever we live in our own power, we're actually thinking that that righteous example can be secured by us. And that's the days we become depressed because we're never going to get there. We're never going to get to that righteousness. We're like the horse with the carrot out in front of him who constantly walks because the carrot's dangling just feet in front of him, but he can never get there. That's what Paul was saying. I see the example, but I can never get there. That is the wrong function of the law. The law never satisfies. It leaves us hungry and striving for more. The law never allows for rest. It always places the burden on us to be the one who performs. When the law becomes our goal, we're always the player on the team who's expected to make all the points. Were you ever that guy? I was never that guy. My dad may have been that guy. But I was never, you know, the, the guy in the last, the last uh, uh, few minutes and your team is down and you've got to make that winning play or something. When you live with the law, every day is that expectation. Every day is you have to perform or you fail. And when you live in that type of attitude, guess what? Every day you're going to miss the basket. Every day you're going to fail. And that's where... The enemy wins. When the enemy keeps you in failure, the enemy wins. And what's his greatest tool? His greatest tool is the sin that comes about because of the law. You see, we walk under that pressure. We walk under the guilt and condemnation of less than what we should be. So when Paul says, I can never do what I want to do, what's his conclusion? Look at verse 24. His conclusion is this. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He can't be delivered. He, he cannot find rest. He cannot find wholeness. After years and years of living in this oppressive system, he could finally declare, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. I've been delivered through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who is the only one? What is the only method that can bring about that wholeness? It can't be works because works always oppress. It's only Jesus Christ. See, after Apostle Paul got saved, he went to Arabia for three years. And I think for that time period, he existed in this religious dilemma because he came from the law and he came now in Christianity and I think he existed in this place where now he felt like I've got to keep everything. But once the Spirit came, he realized, you know what? Even that old man who boasted in the law, he was still exceedingly sinful. And, and, and I don't know how long afterwards he went without writing anything, but finally when he wrote something, he said, listen, the law was to no benefit other than killing me. Deliverance can never come through what we can do. It can only come through what Christ has accomplished for, for us. I've said many times that when we live under the law, then all the law produces become functional saviors. We think that by being good or that by being bad, it will make us whole. 
any sin or good work that we think is going to bring value to us becomes a functional savior. But they never satisfy. And Paul realized this. That even though he was the best law keeper of all the Hebrews, all those works could not make him whole. He could not find any rest in his own ability to be good. Man, his own works were that uncomfortable stone floor of a prison to sleep on. It was not comforting. But he found that salvation rested not in his ability, but in Jesus' ability to be good. You see, here's the thing, folks. Every day, you've got to take your eyes off self. You've got to stop looking at what you're not and start looking at what Jesus is. Everybody's still with me today. You've got to stop looking in the mirror thinking that we're going to be the performers and start looking at the cross, which says Jesus performed on our behalf. As long as we're measuring ourselves, we're always short. Always short. Jesus was good for us so that by his death and resurrection we're grafted into his heavenly character and given the righteousness of Christ. When Jesus entered into the flesh, he entered into our calamity. He entered into our separation from God. He entered in that dilemma of the flesh. If we think back to the garden, what did the works of the flesh do for Adam? It brought no union with God. It actually brought separation. Adam shows us that the works of the flesh never draw us to God. And that's when the law is not functionally used for the Christian to bring about righteousness. Salvation has nothing to do with what we can accomplish. It has nothing to do with our ability to walk the right path because Jesus already walked the right path. And some people are going to say, man, you better walk the tightrope because if you slip, if you fall, Hades is waiting for you. And then we quote the verse, narrow is the way of salvation, right? Let me tell you, that narrow way is not the law. That narrow way is the work of Jesus Christ. That narrow way is the line he walked, unless you're trusting in him. You ever seen somebody that walks on a tightrope? They never look down. They're always looking ahead. How do you walk the narrow road? By looking at the finished work of Jesus, knowing that he accomplished what you never will do. And they also hold on to something that balances them. You know what that is? That's the righteousness of Christ. Without that righteousness, we're going to fall. Here's what the realization of grace does. It frees us from the need to try to save ourselves through flesh and through the law. And we rest fully in the deliverance we've been already given. Paul realized that all things in his life cannot deliver, but praise be to God... God had already delivered him. See, that's the difference. That is the difference. You know, there's two people that have come to my house in three years that I've lived there in Midland. One was a Jehovah's Witness. I actually respect the Jehovah's Witnesses. At least they're out something, doing something for their false god. Right? The second was a political campaigner. Wanted me to vote for Tom Tillis. Right? I mean, I respect that. 
least these people care about something. You know who's never come to my house a Christian? Think about that. People will come knocking on doors for false idolatry and politics. But no one's come because of the truth of Jesus Christ. Now here's the odd thing. (laughs) That the reason the Mormons are out there riding their bicycles is because they think that the mileage is going to take them to heaven. Don't matter how many doors you knock on, that door's not going to get us to heaven. Amen? So, so we see that the law always pushes people to do things out of duty. But here's the thing. We should be out there simply because of the good news of the gospel. You know, perfect example. Tanya Little, she, she moved yesterday. Her and Marvin moved to Florida. You know why they came to our church? Because two and a half years ago, we were having our first Easter egg hunt. And we went door to door inviting people to church, telling them about the love of Jesus. If we have vacation Bible school, we go door to door. I know we haven't hit every door in the community. Some of us haven't even hit our next door neighbor's houses to invite them to church. But sanctification is in progress. Hopefully we will. But we don't do those things to be righteous. We do those things because we are righteous. <laughs> I heard it put this way. If we're in the business of sin management, we're always going to be managing our sin instead of our worship. As long as I'm trying to be good, I'm going to spend every day saying, well, I better not do this or I won't get into heaven. I better not do this or I won't get into heaven. Man, stop looking at sin and just look at the kingdom. Just look at the king and let the king flow through you. That's the difference between the law which keeps us bound. Romans chapter 7 is describing the burdened Christian. That's most of the church today. They're burdened because they still think performance is about them. Listen, guys, Jesus already performed for you. He already aced the test, and you can cheat off his work. (laughs) He's letting you. He's got the answers. You don't know the answers. He's the smart kid in history class that's already studied. And you don't have to come to class wondering if you're going to pass. He passed for you on your behalf. So now you can graduate and get to the world and live our life for the gospel.